Hello, I'm Terry Schultz, and I am channeling Brussels, getting newsmakers, movers, and shakers to lose the lingo, burst out of the Brussels bubble, and have real conversations about the critical foreign and security policies shaping our world. It's the rest of the story, beyond the few seconds of sound bites that make it into the news. This week's Channeling Brussels is brought to you by the Atlantic Council. And for this show, I'm sharing an interview I feel very lucky to have gotten from a very busy guy, General Ben Hodges, the commander of U.S. forces in Europe. I caught up with him after NATO exercises in the Baltics and Poland called Sabre Strike, and just before he was headed off to oversee Sabre Guardian in the Black Sea region. Now, if you're paying any attention to virtual water cooler discussions about security and defense these days, you cannot have missed the mention of the word Zapad. That means West in Russian and is the name of the Russian government's regular military exercises every four years. The last Zapad drills took place just before Russia invaded Ukraine's Crimea region and then annexed it. It was later realized that Zapad was basically a warm-up for this operation. So neighbors of Russia could be forgiven for feeling a bit nervous about the upcoming series of exercises to be held with Belarus. That's not to say NATO's not ready. Its top military and political officials say the alliance is always ready and won't be making any major adjustments to its posture during Zapad week starting September 14th because Hodges says there's no need. You might be surprised by what does concern General Hodges. And it's not the Russians, it's the Europeans. The general explains in our interview that if he were to need to move forces and more specifically heavy equipment to the border with Russia or anywhere else an urgent crisis might arise, he would have to deal with an extraordinary amount of regulations for permission to cross borders within the Schengen zone. That means within the 22 EU countries who've agreed to forego border formalities for people, money and goods. Now, one of the most shocking things Hodges says in this interview is that he's not even confident that if there were a crisis prompting NATO to deploy its new high-speed, high-readiness spearhead force, that the red tape could be cut short. Hodges has made it one of his many missions to urge political leaders to create what he calls a military Schengen zone. Here's General Ben Hodges. I've never quite understood why it is so difficult for us to be able to move around inside Europe, inside NATO countries, EU countries. Uh, so the idea um, that we started advocating about two years ago was to create the equivalent of a Schengen zone for the military. Uh, clearly, respect national sovereignty, respect EU uh, road laws, you know, weight, that sort of thing, moving uh, hazardous materials. I completely understand that. But uh, in many European countries, uh, it takes weeks to get the permissions to cross the border with ammunition, for example, or trucks. And the, and the kind of things that we have to submit, uh, I think you're right. Most people would be astounded to find out uh, what we have to do to submit a list of here's all the vehicles, here's the drivers, here's what's in every truck, which they don't do with gigantic uh, commercial trucks moving back and forth. I think it's just a leftover from old times in many cases. Now, in Germany, uh, after the war, uh, Germany did a lot of things for good reason to make sure that they could never, ever invade anybody else, that they could not be seen as a threat to anybody else. And I, I think that was a natural uh, post-war uh, institution to, uh, to implement. Uh, it's very difficult for me, even inside of Germany, to move ammunition, military vehicles, and so on. Why does this matter? 
Uh, today, uh, a refugee can move across Europe faster than a NATO military convoy. If you accept the premise that um, Russia, if Russia ever considered uh, a, an aggressive act of some sort, if we saw that perhaps about to happen, our political leaders would want to be able to send a signal that we see it, do not make a mistake. And so that signal might be move a formation somewhere up to northeast Poland, for example, to demonstrate that we're prepared. Um, it would be done under peacetime conditions, and we would not be able to move fast enough to achieve the strategic effect that our political leaders would want us to be able to because achieve. Because of bureaucracy. I, th I think, frankly, um, it's bureaucracy. Of course, there's laws. I think there's probably um, uh, well over 100 different laws that would have to be changed in total in different countries from Germany, Poland, Lithuania, Romania. But why spend all this money? Why have spearhead forces, which I know there would be different laws uh, under true threat of attack, but why spend all this money to move quickly if then you're going to be hung up by a, a beam? So, well, great point. Um, I, would, I would not uh, uh, necessarily agree with your premise that, well, if there's a crisis, it'll be able to move. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. That's the worst case scenario. I am sure. In fact, I'm convinced that uh, our political leaders, and I understand it, completely, they will naturally want to use, I should say our civilian leaders will want to use all of the flexibility that they can to avoid a provocation, to, to do everything they can to prevent a crisis from happening. That's completely natural. So that means then, uh, in Germany for example, only the Bundestag can declare that uh, it's a crisis situation. So the Bundestag would have to act to change the status so that we could move ammunition more quickly or move troops more quickly or for, to get access to Deutsche Bahn. I mean, everybody's going to be competing for Deutsche Bahn. Germans, British, Americans, Poles, everybody needs Deutsche Bahn to move heavy equipment rapidly. And, uh, you know, frankly, I think uh, we should have guaranteed access to Deutsche Bahn within maybe a 48-hour period. But um, I think that uh, most nations at this point Unless somebody is able to explain why it matters, why this gives them more flexibility, um, somebody will have to explain that to because I have obviously not made a compelling case uh, for why this is important. With all the efforts we're putting into mm -hmm. reformation, being able to move quickly, this just makes no sense to me. Well, let, let me just let me close it on this then. You're, you're exactly right. We have the VJTF, yeah. the, the Very High Readiness Joint Task Force. It could be the VVV joint very 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 high readiness chain but it doesn't matter if it still takes 14 days to get permission to cross the border in slovakia or something like that i think uh, the man you called the uh, president of the russian federation is probably you know laughing pretty hard at this um i don't know uh, but he is not burdened with any restriction on uh movement inside the russian federation and of course he's able to move a lot of stuff real fast which is what got my attention and made me start thinking about how do we um, achieve at least the same uh, speed uh, that he has. Now, I do think that the EU is actually a good mechanism for fixing this. They have structures. Uh, I had the privilege to speak to the EU military committee in Brussels, and um, so I actually uh, got some hope from that. And then the Minister of Defense from the Netherlands put forth a proposal to create a military Schengen zone. I, that's what it needs, because if it's me, if it's somebody in uniform, it's not as compelling as if you have a civilian leader. Let's let's move on to um, talking about the next exercises. Um, 
you you say that there's going to be one airborne um, contingent. I don't know what the formal term is that's moving up to Adaji, um, but otherwise nothing else is changing during during Zapad. Well, I don't think anything needs to change. I mean, we have um, with the enhanced forward presence battle groups in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland um, a full U.S. armor brigade that is in Eastern Europe already, the rotational brigade. Uh, a full rotational aviation brigade that's here, plus what all our allies have. The battalions are ready. This is, this is normal business, um, as far as we're concerned. Normal business. We're always ready. This is what we do. We prepare. Um, we don't need to have thousands of soldiers at the border standing guard. We're prepared. This is, this is what deterrence is all about. Um, but... I think, uh, and, and then the scheduled exercises like Aurora in Sweden, Dragon in Poland. Uh, Which were not in reaction to Zapad. Those were previously scheduled. They were already scheduled. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, there's nothing evil about Zapad. I mean, it's, it's an exercise that's scheduled every four years. Um, it's certainly Russia's uh, uh, right to exercise, conduct exercises. The thing, that made, the, the thing that worries people that live next to the Western Military District of Russia is that there is zero transparency. There's, I've never met in three years a single journalist who's covered a Russian exercise, not one time. So if Russia was serious about wanting stability and security in, along their western border, they would, put, they would invite journalists out there to, to demonstrate, hey, we're just defensive. Instead, they've recreated the First Guards tank army with 800 tanks. That's not a defensive formation. That, that formation exists for one reason, to attack. So um, by doing that and by not being transparent, it, uh, you can see why nations are anxious. And so because of that, uh, we decided, my, my higher headquarters uh, decided that it was worthwhile to take one airborne battalion, so we're talking about 650 soldiers, uh, to leave their base at Grafenvir and come up to Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. So there'll be a company of American soldiers training in each of those three countries along with the, the EFP battle groups um, and also the very good uh, armed forces of each of those three countries. Russia has the opportunity to be a responsible nation by transparency, by doing things that assure their neighbors that they're not going to use this exercise the way they used exercises and as a backdrop in Ukraine and Georgia and, and uh, other places. So uh, it, it really, they, they could demonstrate some leadership. Uh, they want to be a global power. Um, just having nuclear weapons doesn't make you a global power. It's you know, acting responsibly, and I, I hope they will. That's U.S. General Ben Hodges looking ahead to Russia's Zapad exercises and discussing his hopes that Europe will truly become borderless when it comes to moving military troops quickly in response to a threat noting that Russian President Vladimir Putin is not, in Hodges' words, burdened by any such restrictions. Hodges is retiring in September, and you can hear in his words some disappointment and regret that he was not able to convince European governments to ease up regulations when it comes to military transport. But as he points out, Dutch Defense Minister Janine hennis pleshard has formally raised that recommendation with her NATO counterparts. We'll see if a military Schengen zone gets off the ground. In the meantime, back to watching Zapod with binoculars from Brussels. Thanks so much to General Hodges. Thanks to the Atlantic Council for sponsoring Channeling Brussels. And thanks to you for listening. Join me next time.